nation, and um, there's one that I remember the sermon as I thought back through it this morning, and that was one given by Todd, and the thought that he had was that we're under rowers, that we're at the bottom of the boat and rowing, and that's the one sermon that I could think of, uh, and I'm looking forward to this morning, uh, it feels like the beginning of of uh, change and we're looking forward to that. Let's stand and commit it to the Lord before we go on. Oh Lord, we thank you for your church and we thank you for your servants and we just pray that you would be with Todd this morning as he shares with us and plant those seeds in our heart and and give us wisdom, give us guidance, give us direction. Thank you for the things of this morning that we already uh, meditated on the things we don't understand and those things that we do understand. And help us to not set our sights here too low. Help us to set a sight on a city that's coming in. And help us to dwell on that as we make decisions at this time in our lives. Thank you so much for your care for us. We pray that you would be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to all of you, and I greet you this morning in the name of Christ. You can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. It feels quite a bit different this morning. Looking feels a little bit more like a business meeting, um, looking at the ordination and how we look at ordinations and changing of leadership and ordaining leadership. <clears throat> um, this morning is the start of a series. Um, I plan on preaching this morning on the ordination congregation's role in choosing their leaders, and next week, Lord willing, Eric will share a message, and the following week, Claire, a message on the ordination. Acts chapter 6, just a few thoughts in understanding a congregation's role in choosing their leaders. Um, a lot of us fall into this trap of, well, this is just how we do things, um, it's a little bit of, I shouldn't say it's all bad, but it can be a trap of just this is how we do things. All cultures need to bring how they were taught and just how they do things to the Scripture and align themselves with Scripture more than just this is how we do things. Um, and I believe in our assessing how we ordain leaders I believe we need to live with a conviction. This is how we do things. Because this is how we see it in Scripture. More than just, hey, this is how Grandpa did it. This is how the church in Pennsylvania did it. it seemed to work. Um, well, there's times that it didn't work. Um, it's not because the plan was fallible. Um, we'll look at some of those things a little bit later. Acts chapter 6. Um, we believe the Lord Jesus Christ has designed this way for the church to operate. Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. 
I believe the first step in understanding our role as a congregation is realizing God's plan from history past. How did God organize it? How did He call things together when there was time to ordain a leader? Um, do you think here in Acts that the twelve came up with this idea off the cuff? Do you think this was an only a New Testament procedure? Look ye out from among you seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Do you think Peter woke up one morning and think and thought, you know, our help won an ad and the paper isn't doing us much good anyway? We've gone to the denominational board seven times and we still haven't found a leader, a deacon to help us out. And so, you know, let's just figure out who among us can do it because nobody else seems to take up the mantle. Do you think he was thinking process, his thought processes were like that? Or was he as well looking from history past and basing his decision, basing the church's decision? Was the early church basing their decision on history past as well? Acts, it clearly says, Look ye out from among you seven men filled with the Holy Ghost and wisdom. That thought is not original from Acts. That is actually how God designed to call men to be servants in His hands. Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting at verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, and of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have spoken well that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. Now you'll notice the words here in Deuteronomy. God says, I will raise up a prophet from the midst of thee. Is he speaking of Jesus? Is he speaking of this is how prophets or leaders, spiritual leaders of people are raised up? Um, you notice in verse 15, God says, I will raise up a prophet from your midst like unto me. Um, speaking there of Jesus. And it says, unto him ye shall hearken. In other words, what, what he is saying you must listen to. He's, he's saying truth. There's nothing fallible. You don't look at Jesus' word and say, well, you know, but is that for sure, for sure? Or, like, is that truth? Or do we need to look at that a little bit deeper? Jesus' words were commanded, unto him ye shall hearken. I will raise up a prophet from your midst like unto me. But also in verse 18, God says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee. Same concept, raising up from among you. But he says, like unto thee. So this is a prophet or a spiritual leader who is to be leading out spiritually in the local group. Now that's an extremely serious call. Do you notice there he says, if that prophet, like unto thee, starts to speak that I have not told him to speak, I will require it of him. That's an extremely serious, serious thing. 
Um, we, we don't plan on speaking on that this morning, but it, it's a serious thing when we go on and on with an opinion when we're supposed to be going on with truth and promoting Christ and the God of truth. So as you look at this, um, I want us to embrace a conviction. What's a congregation's role in choosing a leader? First of all, we must, I believe, understand how the Lord established someone leading out spiritually. It was to be called from among the brethren like unto thee. Someone leading out spiritually called from among the brethren. More than just, this is how we do it. This is how we did it back in 2000. This is how we did it in 2004. This is how we did it in 2006. This is how we hope to do it in 2019. Much more than that, we we must have a conviction of this is how God has worked and led in history past. Um, As a Mennonite church, I believe we take this for granted. Um, This is extremely important. And I don't think we fully appreciate how we have been taught to do it this way. God's choosing from among us. Turn to Acts chapter 1. There was another church. um, I'm going to try to keep names out of this. Um, There was another church. I have made quite a few good friends with in that other church that belong to that other church that are members there. They They had a lead pastor a very energetic fellow, um, a good-hearted guy, a, a big heart for the community. He was pastor there for 25 years. He had a lot of members. There was a good salary, quite a few services, even on a Sunday morning, more than just one service. He had four assistant pastors as well. He was offered a position in the South, and he resigned his uh pastor, lead pastor position and moved down south and left the church there looking for a new leader. So the church went to the denominational committee and said, we need a new lead pastor or bishop or whatever title you want to give that. The church committee went to the denominational board and said, send us a pastor. So the board sent out a request. A number of applicants came in. And the board would interview who should we send to this location, to this church. Um, if they passed muster with the denominational board, they would then send them to the church board in that community. And the church board would interview them, would talk to them. If they would pass muster, they would preach one sermon. And now the congregation can choose in, out. Um, Do you know the stress that that puts on a congregation? And whoever they voted to keep would be bringing their own staff. All assistant pastors would lose their job immediately. That poor group desperately needed a lead pastor. But for years, literally... They struggled, paralyzed with the prospect of completely losing their current ministry, completely losing their current setup. Because the lead pastor has a right to designate who he wants to help him out. Finally, they hired a man as lead pastor under the agreement that he would work with the current um, local pastors for a while. Many members 
at one point now down to a point where they sent on a ballot saying, should we continue having church? Because most everybody left. The stress that it puts on a congregation. Uh, one young man on the church committee stated, how in the world can this process be changed? It's just a political nightmare. Because there's, believe it or not, even in that church, there's people who they say are legalists. And there's people who they say are liberals. Even in that congregation. And you know what? It came down to a crunch. Who are we going to allow in? Because who you allow in, it's going to obviously go one way or the other, right? When we start making a decision on liberals, conservative kind of thing, we do get in a very dangerous, dangerous place. Whether you're in a Mennonite church or a Baptist church or any type of church structure. When you start making a decision based on that, you're not making a decision based on qualifications. We're in for a ride. We are in for a ride. That happens in Mennonite churches. That happens in, in, in many types of churches. We must look at Scripture and we must look what are the qualifications that God is requiring of leadership. This young man on the church committee stated, how in the world can this be changed? It's like a crazy political system. How do the Mennonites do it? Well, our way is kind of boring. You know? We just, we feel like God has designed it that we're called from among. We don't send somebody to cemetery. And I did say that right. We don't send somebody to cemetery and get them trained to learn how to say nothing. Right? Seminary. And he said, that sounds so refreshing. That sounds so much easier than this political mess that we are in. Called from among the brethren. Friends, I want it to be more than just how we do it. I want it to be a conviction of how does God's Word Ask us to live and to do these things. Um, it is a fact. If we were in the hiring business and decided to hire um, from outside, have them give a message and we'll grade and we'll judge them. Should we accept them? Should we keep them? You know, it's a fact. You can hire a leader with more talent from the outside. You can hire a leader with more time, more money, more enthusiasm. You you can hire somebody like that. There's no question about that. If we would be looking all over the USA and we say, hey, we need a deacon in Hayward, please come and give it your best shot. See if you can get in and we'll pay you. We could find somebody probably more enthusiastic than everyone here. Believe it or not. Some of you would give him a run for his money, but I think I think we could find somebody. With more time, with more money, and with more talent. We could. But that's not the idea. There's the, the hireling has two things against him. Number one, he doesn't even know the sheep he's helping. And number two, if danger comes, his fellow sheep, hey, I got a life to live elsewhere. The person who's called from among, his fellow sheep are precious to him. He's not going to run when the devil's slinging. This is where his home is. This is where his family is. These are where the people that he cares about. These are the people right here. This is where I was raised. 
and I'm going to lay down and die here before I let the devil get into this house. That's the, per- that's the perspective of somebody who's called from among. God's plan from history past. But still the question is, but Lord, what is your will on the who? He's given us His Word as a congregation that we can understand His will. God says if someone is to be called, these are the qualifications. In Titus 1, He says, blameless, not soon angry, not self-willed, not, and, and temperate. In Titus 1.5, He says, for this cause I left thee, Titus, in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Um, I, I truly believe... August 28th, the Lord has chosen someone at this particular time in this particular setting. It doesn't mean they're more spiritual than everyone else. It just simply means God has chosen someone in this particular time, in this particular setting. And the key is, are we surrendered to His will personally? That He can show us who that is. And the second thing is, are we truly looking at the qualifications and assessing if that person, the who, is surrendered to his will as well. It's an important factor. If I could say this, and if I could keep you awake by saying this, I think we would all agree that this is how God has worked in the past, how God has chosen leaders in the past called out from among us. Okay, that means that we give a name of who we feel God is calling out from among us. If we don't have that conviction, we'll go through and not give a name. Somebody else can do it. And and this is what I'd like to say. I've helped out. I don't know how many ordinations I've helped out. I, I don't keep track. Quite a few churches have more people that don't give a name than do give a name. How do you feel about that? In other words, the members, there's more of them that do not give a name than the ones who actually do give a name. Some churches are in the 30%. Some are in the 90%. And if I can be honest, we're not in the 90% at Northwoods. We're, we're, we're down the list really, really far. And I think it's because we fail in owning this conviction personally, called out from among us. That's our responsibility. It, it's not a thing where... It, it could be a false humility. I don't know what it is. It could be a thing, well, what if I say a name and, and it's not right? And you know, then they'll look at me and think, well, you know, he didn't give the right name. He's not real spiritual. Nothing to do with that. It's as we pray and seek God's face. What is His will? And we do our part in giving that name. I believe that is living in that conviction that this is how we do it. Acts chapter 1 verse 14. What happens when we're considering praying for God's will and there are two or three men that would be recognized as being able to fulfill the call at this particular place and time. I believe like the early church, we give that to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 14 of Acts 1, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. 
And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spake before coming, before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch that the field is called in the proper tongue, Al-Kadamah, which is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let this habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men, which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, whose was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen, that ye may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with eleven apostles. I find it interesting what these disciples were doing. There were ten days between Ascension and Pentecost. From where Jesus ascended, it was a Sabbath day's journey back to the upper room. So ten days between Ascension and Pentecost. What did they do those ten days? It says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Uh, That's incredible. Uh, A lot of people, uh, if I can just be blunt, some people look at this and say, well, the early church was doing something they shouldn't have been doing. Paul should have been the twelfth apostle. Okay, and they were, they were taking it into their own hands and doing it before the Holy Ghost fell upon them. Jesus said in John 20, He breathed on them and He said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Uh, I don't believe Jesus was um, making up words or making up events. I think He breathed on them the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came in power at the day of Pentecost. There's no question about that. But here we have these people... Ten days, ten days, praying and supplication with one accord. Now, can you imagine if we were locked in this building, we got 125 people. They say there was 120 people in the upper room. Can you imagine if we were here ten days? All right, lock the doors in the back, lock the doors in the front, we're here ten days. What do you think would, would happen by the end of it all? Do you think Jesse would get on somebody's nerves? Do you think Dan would get on somebody's nerves? How about Lester or Joe or Ben? Do you think anybody would be at each other's neck just a little bit after ten days? You know, stop snoring so loud. And when you talk, you know, stop spitting. And when you eat, can you keep your mouth shut? You know, things like this can annoy you after two days. And you think, you know, I've still got eight more to go. You know, what amazes me is this group wasn't saying who's the greatest. None of that was, all that was behind them. They were there, ten days, prayer and supplication with one accord.
Um, the argument then comes, well, yeah, but whoever heard of Matthias? Is that a strong argument? You know, if they would have done it right, they would have ordained Paul because Paul is well known. They weren't looking at who's going to be the greatest evangelist and let's put him as the apostle. They weren't saying who's the greatest speaker. They were saying who was with us from the time Christ started till his ascension. How many of you heard of Matthias after the fact? How many of you heard of Bartholomew after the fact? How many of you heard of James the Lesser after the fact? Hey, we're running short here. How many of you heard of Andrew after the fact? You know, out of the twelve disciples, we only hear of two after the fact. We, we can't make assessments and say, well, this here is maybe not the way we should do it. I believe the early church truly was led by the Spirit of God and truly humbled themselves to the place where they said, Lord, let me get the verse, Thou which knowest the hearts of men, show whether these two thou hast chosen. Looking at Psalms 16.33, Lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing is of the Lord. They didn't just quote those things. They believed them. They, they, They embraced them. It's, it's up to us as a church. Do you want to embrace it? Or do we want to believe what we want to believe? It's completely up to us. <clears throat> I believe what this shows is by the apostles, they were recognizing the church was and is designed by the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't designed by a businessman who makes a decision and says, hey, you know, with, with all my experience... Uh, I think this here, other well-known fellows should be in here, or, or etc. It, it is designed, it was designed and is designed today by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and in that, we must recognize that fact. Spending ten days talking with the designer and creator of the church prepared them to move forward. I believe prayer is important as we anticipate this great event. Prayer is extremely important. The, the life of the church is going to be affected incredibly. Um, can be incre- incredibly affected. I believe prayer is very essential. And prayer is recognizing the fact Jesus is the designer of the church. <clears throat> What's your criteria for someone to be part of a lot? What's your criteria for someone to be part of an ordination service? To be ordained. I believe we, number one, have to lay down our own personal preference and opinion. And say, Lord, thou which knowest the hearts. And come to him in prayer. And come to him with our own surrender. And honestly look at, I believe Brother Claire is going to be preaching on the qualifications. Honestly look And honestly assess. Because I believe if we circumvent any part of this, we're in trouble as a congregation. This is a big step. I've heard somebody say before, 
You know, we really need this guy in to preach in our church. It'd be a shame not to have him in the ministry. He's a deep thinker, a great speaker. Apt to teach is, is one qualification. Uh, the poor congregation, um, quite a few miles from here, has suffered immensely, has been torn apart. Because they put someone in, um, they put someone in the ministry, and they said, "Well, of course he belongs in the ministry. He was ordained when he was down south, when he lived down, I think it was in the Carolinas or somewhere. He belongs in the ministry, and he's a good thinker. He's a good talker. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about, though, does it?" It says he has the qualifications. Is he surrendered to the will of God? And I say that to... Can we honestly look at this? It's not once a pastor, always a pastor. There's qualifications in in place. Um, We can't say, well, you know, but... This older gentleman, he, he preached down there. And yeah, it did fall apart down there. And he does struggle with anger, maybe impulsiveness. But we need a pastor, and so let's put him in. Uh, they had no idea the headache that they were inviting on themselves. The qualifications by Scripture aren't something to be just jumped over and say, well, he was a pastor down there. These are things that we assess in a very careful way and in a very prayerful way. Remember when it's ordination time, the Lord has chosen someone for this particular job in this particular time, in this particular setting. And it's essential for us as a congregation to understand God's plan in history. Do you want to be a part of that? Um, coming and helping call a brother, a family to this work. Recognize God's plan in history. From Acts to Deuteronomy, understanding what he's saying. And also recognizing, just as importantly, Jesus is the designer of the church. Come with prayer and allow his word to guide us the who. It's not about talent. It's not about experience. It's about meeting the qualifications that God has laid out for us. That we can be found of Him in that final day without spot or wrinkle. Um, that we can be found blameless as we yield ourselves and surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and His will. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Our Father in Heaven, we're thankful this morning for Your Word. And Lord, as we approach a great event in just a few months, um, the congregation's responsibility or role in choosing a leader to help us to understand how you've worked in the past. Help us, Lord, to, by faith, embrace your calling personally and how you want to call from among us. Lord, help us to be diligent in assessing those qualifications and your word and that we could build each other up, that we could call ourselves to and each other to deeper surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word.
I thank you, Lord, for the brotherhood. I thank you for the young men, for the middle-aged men, for the older men of this congregation. And I pray your blessing upon them. I pray your peace and your, your guiding hand upon them. As we go through this event, we pray that the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ would be built and that we could um, be a blessing in this community because of these events. In Jesus' name, amen.